Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning message will be out of John chapter 4, Jesus and the Samaritan Woman. And the title of the message this morning is True Worship. Who better to find out what true worship really is than Jesus Christ himself? Please enjoy. John chapter 4. If you have your places in John chapter 4, I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence for the Word of God. And we're going to begin reading this morning in verse number 19, and we'll read down to verse number 24. The Bible says in John 4 in verse number 19, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, And you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The title of the message this morning is True Worship. True Worship. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning, to stand here with a copy of the Word of God in our hands, and with the freedom to listen to the Word of God preached, and with the Holy Spirit inside of us to teach us the Word of God. And Lord, I just pray that you'd bless the preaching of the Word of God this morning, and may the truths of the Word of God bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, there's a question I want to answer this morning. And the question I want to answer is, what is true worship? What is true worship? Worship is talked about so extensively in the Bible that it's very hard to cover every aspect of worship in just one message. So I'm not going to attempt that, okay? I've crammed into here all I can cram in. But worship is such an extensive subject that really you would need an entire series to preach everything that comes with worship. Uh, But I do want to look at true worship this morning. You know, you guys know... That when I came here, I was very afraid of the worship music. It was so outside of my box that, you know, I, I, went, I went through the, the worship songs in the computer my first year here. And I got rid of all the songs that I thought that were was too, catch, too catchy and too beady. And just, you know, just though I did, and I played just certain worship songs on a loop. And it was because I, I just didn't know. Eventually, we put those worship songs back in there, and we got some new ones, and I'm thankful to say I'm growing in that aspect, but, you know, I'm still learning here. But 
before we get to the text that we read this morning, which is by far the most quintessential text on worship you can read in the Word of God, who better to learn what true worship is than from Jesus Christ himself? Okay? Uh, But before we get into the text of true worship, I want to look at the Bible very quickly this morning for introduction, and I want us to see... What exactly is worship? When the Bible says the word worship, what does that mean? When a song plays and I raise my hand as I sing it, is that worship? Yes. Is that all worship is? No. That's not all of what worship is. Let me read you Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, listen listen to that phrase, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Okay? So, what is worship? Worship is giving anything to God that is acceptable to Him. Worship is giving anything to God that is pleasing to Him. In the Old Testament, when they would build the altars and offer the incense and offer the burnt sacrifices, they were worshiping God because they were sacrificing that which is acceptable to Him. Worship is anything you do in your Christian life that is acceptable to God, that is pleasing to God. And anytime you give God something acceptable, anytime you give something to God that's pleasing to Him, that is considered worship. The verse we just read says that by giving your, your body, giving your life over to Him as a living sacrifice is acceptable and it is worship. So living the Christian life is worship. Anytime you do something, quote-unquote, righteous, you are worshiping God. Another example of this is 1 Peter 2, 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here, once again, we see things being offered to God, being sacrificed to God. It's connected with being acceptable, okay? So anytime I offer anything to God, I give anything to God that is acceptable, I give anything to God that is pleasing to Him, is connected to worship. So in just these two verses, we've seen that living the Christian life is considered worship. We see examples through this throughout the Old Testament when people sacrifice things to God and the Bible says it comes up to God as a sweet-smelling savor. And what this is, is this is worship because it's giving God something that is, that is acceptable and pleasing. When the, when the Israelites, when they, when they offered good things to God, good things happened for them. When they didn't give good things to God, bad things happened for them. Okay? And, uh, 
uh, you know, after all, that's what a sacrifice on an altar is. It's worshiping God. Now, there's probably no greater example of this than Cain and Abel. Okay? Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 3 says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought an offering from the firstborn of his flock and from their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering, he had no regard. So we see from Abel's example that when you give something pleasing to God, when you give something that is acceptable to God, to God, then you're worshiping God in the right way. So I think I've established that worshiping God is giving God something that is acceptable to him, giving him something that is pleasing to him. Now, uh, that's worshiping God. Any time, really any time in our Christian life when we do something righteous, that's worshiping God. Let me give you some examples in the New Testament. Romans 14, 13 says, uh, Therefore, let's not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother or sister's way. So what's this passage of Scripture about here in Romans 14? This passage of Scripture is about not being a stumbling block to your brother or sister of Christ, not, not pulling them down. So in other words, what it's saying is instead of pulling your brother or sister down, you're lifting them up. You're being a godly influence on your brother or sister or Christ. So that's what this passage is about. Instead of being a bad influence and pulling them down, your brother or sister of Christ, you're building them up. Okay, so what does the Bible say about that? Down in verse 18, it says, For the one who serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by other people. So this is a form of worship. This is a form of worship. When I go to my brother or sister in Christ and I help them and I influence them in a godly way and I help them, then I am worshiping God. I see somebody going through a tough time. I see somebody going through a rough time and, and, and they need help. And I reach out and I help that person. By doing that, I am worshiping God because that is acceptable to God. Okay, so having a godly influence on your brother, sister, Christ is a form of worship. Romans 15, 16. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, uh, the gospel of God, so acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So, so Paul is saying, when I preach the gospel and other people get saved, when I share the gospel, this is an acceptable offering. So anytime I give an acceptable offering to God, just like they did in the Old Testament when they was at an altar and they gave an acceptable offering, that is a form of worship. I'm offering something to God that is pleasing. I've shared the gospel with someone. They have received Christ. And I'm offering that as an acceptable sacrifice is a form of worship. Giving someone the gospel is worship. 
Listen, worship isn't regulated to just corporate praise. Worship is more than just corporate praise. It's, it's how we treat each other. It's giving a non-believer, sharing the gospel with them, giving them our, our salvation testimony. That is a form of worship. And I could go on and on and on, but I won't for sake of time. But through the New Testament, you see that, that personal righteousness is a form of worship. It's acceptable to God. 1 Timothy 5 says that when you care for a widow, that's, that's acceptable. It's a form of worship. Suffering for Christ is acceptable worship. All of these things that I'm talking about, they touch every area of our lives. So you don't just worship God in church during the worship service, and then you don't, you know, you're not worshiping God. No, you worship God every day. You worship God everywhere you go. Now, of course, of course, praise is worship. Praise, though, it's on the spectrum of worship, but it's not all that worship is. It's not all that worship is. But it's what we think of when we say the word worship, is it not? When we say worship, the first thing that pops in our heads is praising him in song. That's the first thing that pops in our heads. Because worship, praise worship is special. You know why it's special? It's special because even when there's not another brother or sister around that I can do good for, even when there's not a non-believer around that I can share the gospel with, even if I'm just by myself, I can still worship God in praise. I can do that when I'm by myself. I don't have to have anybody around in order for me to do that. I can offer praise to God. Hebrews 13, 15, through him, then let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So here we, we're picturing an altar. This praise is a sacrifice to God. It is worship. Okay. The fruit of the lips praising his name. Verse 16, and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. What, that, what those verses are saying, yes, praise is worship and praise is good. Praise is an acceptable form of worship, but so is that other good stuff too. Praise is worship, but so is doing right. Praise is worship, but so is sharing the gospel. Praise is worship, but so is, is, is helping your brother or sister of Christ. Any time in your Christian life when you do something righteous, you are praising God. You are offering a sacrifice to God that is pleasing. It is acceptable. All of its worship. Okay? So now that we have kind of a foundation on what exactly worship is, so you know when I say worship, I'm not just talking about praise worship, which it is, but it's other stuff too. Now I want to get to our text. And like I said, this is the quintessential, this is, this is the passage on worship in the Bible. Look, it's all written of God. It's all from God. It's all important. But these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said these words. Somebody asked Jesus about worship, and this is what Jesus said. Okay, so let, let's, let, let's talk about our text this morning. Jesus was in Judea. 
He's in Judea, and the Pharisees, Jesus, Jesus knows that the Pharisees are going to find out that he is baptized more than John. Jesus knows he needs to get out of town because it's not time yet for a confrontation. Okay, so he knows he has to go. So Jesus decides to go back to Galilee. And Jesus said he must needs go through Samaria. Now, if you're going to go to Galilee from Jerusalem, going through Samaria is the place. It's the right way to go. It's the shortest distance. Okay, it's the shortest distance between point A and point B. Okay, Um, but Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Okay, why? Why did he must needs go through Samaria? I'll tell you why. Because he had a divine appointment. He had a divine appointment that he had to miss. He had a divine appointment with this woman at the well. He had a divine appointment to share the gospel with her. And this appointment was decreed before the foundations of the world. It was decreed that Jesus would have an appointment with this woman and share the gospel with this woman. So he must needs go through Samaria. The Jews did not like going through Samaria. They would go around Samaria. So this is a difficult, it's a shorter path, but it's a difficult road that he's chosen. Sometimes we ask the question, why must I go down this difficult road? Why must I do it? I'll tell you why. It's because you have a divine appointment. That's why you have to go down that road. You might not have wanted to go down the road. You might not have chose the road. Maybe the road was chosen for you. But you know what? You still have to go down the road because you have a divine appointment. Paths that are chosen for us are more sure the word of God than paths we choose for ourselves. Okay? However, this wasn't a road that Jesus was forced to go down. Jesus chose to go down this road. He wanted it. Why? Because he had a divine appointment to keep. Now, like I said, if you're going to travel to Galilee from Judea, the the best option is to go through Samaria. But the Jews avoided it. They would go all the way around Samaria. They would spend all that extra time and go all the way around Samaria before they dare set foot in Samaria. Why? Well, it goes back to the Babylonian captivity. You see, when, the, when, when Babylon came in Israel, when Babylon came in Israel and they took everything of value out of Israel and, and, and into, the, into Babylon, but not only did they take all the best stuff, they also took all the best people. Okay, they took the rich, they took the wealthy, they took the educated, they took those with the skill. They took the nobles, they took the craftsmen, they took the best with them. And what they left behind was the poor. They left the poor, the skillless, the uneducated. They left the homeless. They left all the worst people behind and said, we don't want those type of people in our society. And they left them behind. Well, during the captivity, this lower class of people was left behind in Israel 
And then Gentiles started to come into the land and Gentiles intermarried with this lower class of Jew. And what came out of that were the Samaritans, a new ethnic and religious religious group of people. And that is part of the reason why Jews didn't like Samarians, because the Jews looked at Samarians as half-breeds. They looked at them as mongrels, and they had nothing to do with the people of Samaria. So Jesus is here at this well. He's tired from his journey. It's about the sixth hour, and this woman comes to the well. Now, what's interesting about this story is this woman comes to the well by herself. She comes at a time of day where other women wouldn't come. You see, usually women, they would all come to the well at the same time to help each other, okay? And they would all come at the same time and they would all come together. So the fact that this woman came at a different time of the day and by herself is very telling. It very well could be that she just had an urgent need for water and had to go. But you know what the the, the more likely reason is? The more likely reason that this woman went to the well at a different time of day by herself is because she was a social pariah. She wasn't allowed to go with the other women because of her sordid reputation. Okay, And so she wasn't allowed to be with the other women. But Jesus was there alone. He had sent his disciples away into the city. And this woman comes to the well and Jesus says to her, give me drink. This absolutely shocked her. It shocked her when Jesus spoke to her. Why? Because rabbis don't talk to women in public. You're a rabbi. You don't even talk to your wife in public. And so the fact, number one, that Jesus would speak to a woman out in public, and number two, the fact that she was a Samarian. The Jews had no dealings with the Samarians. They would tolerate other Gentiles before they would tolerate the Samaritans. He said to her, if you knew who I was and and who asked, you would ask me to give you the living water that I have. What's he he there to do? He is there to witness to this woman. He is there to share the gospel with her. He says, if you drink of this well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the well that I have, if you drink of the living water that I have, you'll never thirst again. And then she says, give me this water. And then Jesus starts witnessing to her. And the first thing he says is, go and call thy husband. Now, why did he say that? Jesus is calling out her sin. Right here at the top, he's sharing the gospel with this woman. And the first thing he does is call out her sin. Why? Because you can't get saved unless you realize you're a sinner. You cannot. You cannot accept Christ until you realize that you're a sinner and and you've done wrong. And here we have the master soul winner. And the first thing he does is show this woman that she's sinning. And she said, you've done right. You've had five husbands. You're not married to the guy you're living with now. Whoa. 
Something changed when he said that. When he said that, her view of Jesus changed. Okay? Verse 19. What I'm going to do is we're going to go through this verse by verse in this chapter. Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. So now she knows there's something different about this guy. This guy is a prophet. And man, does she ever have a bone to pick with a Jewish prophet. She got a bone to pick. It's been, it's been an itch in her side. Oh, I can't wait to see somebody and ask him about this question. I've got him dead to rights. Here we have a prophet from Judea here, a Jewish prophet. Now I'm going to ask her a question. And in verse 20, she asks him a question. Now, it is very likely that this question that she asked Jesus was a diversion ta ta tactic. She wanted to take the attention off of her sin and put it onto something else. But it didn't work. Jesus not only answered her question, but used her question to show her that she needed a Savior. Okay? And uh, so, uh, but... Although this was a diversion tactic, it was probably a genuine question. It was probably something that she really was wondering about. And what she asked Jesus is the focus of our message today. She asked him a question about worship. Now, if you're going to ask somebody about what true worship is, there's no better person to ask than Jesus Christ. Absolutely, positively no better person to ask than Jesus. Like I said, I'm going to go through this passage verse by verse. Verse 20. Let's look at verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and yet you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one must worship. Now, I want you to understand that when the Jews were released from captivity, most Jews stayed in Babylon, but a good number of Jews did come back to Israel, and they began to rebuild Israel. They began to rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. And, and what happened is when they were rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, the Samaritans came and said, we want to help rebuild with you. Let us throw into you in, in there with you. We're hard workers. Let us rebuild Jerusalem with you. And the Jews said, no, you can't rebuild with us. You can't. The, the, the Jews rejected their help. So now, instead of the Samaritans helping the Jews, now the Samaritans tried to hinder the building of the temple. And the Samaritans tried to stop the building of the temple. That's recorded in Ezra chapter 4. Have you heard of Sanballat from the book of Nehemiah? Sanballat, who tried to hinder the work of the wall, Sanballat was a Samaritan. So, so the Samaritans tried to hinder all this work because they weren't allowed to help. Now, because the Samaritans have a historical connection to the children, to the people of Israel, their faith, the Samaritan faith, is a combination of the law of Moses combined with Gentile superstition. Because they had Gentiles married throughout. And not only were they half-breeds, but their religion was half-breed as well. The Jews considered their religion a half-breed faith. The Samaritans only recognized the Pentateuch, with the first five books of Moses. That's it. 
They absolutely rejected any, any, any prophets. They rejected the prophets, and they only looked after the first five books of Moses. That was all they, all they used. The Samaritans believed that Moses commissioned that an altar was to be built on Mount Gerizim, which is the mount that she was talking about. When she said, on this mount, and she pointed to a mountain, and the mountain she pointed to was Mount Gerizim, okay? And they said that Moses had commissioned an altar there, so that justified their form of worship, okay? It was a justification of their system of worship on that mountain. So now that we know the background, let's continue reading in verse 21. Jesus said to her, believe me, woman... That a time, Jesus said, believe me, woman, listen to me, woman. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, He said, believe me, woman, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Okay? This, This woman, she is basically indirectly asking, where do I worship? She's not asking, should I worship? She knows she should worship. Why? Every human being that is born knows they should worship something. In the deepest, darkest tribe, in the middle of the darkest part of the jungle, they know they are supposed to worship something. We are born with that in our DNA. We are born with that in our mind that we are to worship something. So she's not asking, should I worship? She's asking, where do I worship? She wants to know where. And you know what Jesus tells her? It's not about a place. It's about a person. It's not about a place. It's about a person. And that person is the Father. It's the Father. We will worship the Father. Okay? Jesus said worship isn't tied to a temple anymore. Worship isn't tied to a place 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and dispute. In everywhere, every place, lift up holy hands. Malachi 1.11. For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name shall be great among the nations. And in every place, frankincense is going to be offered to my name and grain offering that is pure, for my name shall be great among the nations. You can worship anywhere. You can worship anywhere. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. You are commanded to come to church and worship. But here's what I'm saying. Your worship is no more acceptable in this building than it is out there. Your worship is no more acceptable in this building than it is in your car. Your worship is no more acceptable here than it is at work. Your worship is no more acceptable here than it is out in the pasture. Your worship is no more acceptable here than it is out in the deer stand. You can worship God anywhere you want to worship. Because it's not about a place. It is about a person, and that person is the Father. 
you, should, you can worship God anywhere, anytime. In the Old Testament, worship was tied to the temple. We go to church, but guess where we don't go? We don't go to temple. We are the temple. We are the temple. We carry the temple everywhere we go because our body is a temple. Verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. He answers her question. And the answer is the Jews are right. The Jews are right. Look, we all know salvation comes out of Israel. We worship the God of Israel. Our Savior is the Messiah of Israel. Okay, salvation comes from Israel. And Jesus says, look, the Jews were right. But he also explains to her what's wrong with her worship. He said, this is why your worship is wrong. This is the reason. This is why, this is what's wrong with your system of worship. And here it is. Your system of worship, it's ignorant worship. It's uninformed worship. That's what's wrong. That's what's wrong with a wrong system of worship is it's ignorant, uninformed worship. You see, the Samaritans had Gentile influence on their worship. The Samaritans worshiped Jehovah God as the God of their local area. They didn't worship him as the only one true universal God. No, they worshiped Jehovah God as just their little, their little area. So you go over here to this area, it's another God. And you go over here to this area, and it's another God. They didn't worship God as a one universal, one true holy God. They said, he's simply one of the gods. Their problem with their worship is they weren't worshiping God exclusively. Let me tell you something about our God. Our God is a jealous God. What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. That's the very first one. He is a jealous God. The Philistines stole the ark of God, which is a symbol. It wasn't the idol. Israel idol was a symbol of God because the presence of God was over. But, but, they, but, they, but they took the ark. When the Philistines stole the ark and they put the ark in the temple of Dragon, I think is what it's called. They, they put it in that temple. And then the next they put it up on the same level as that God. They left and they came back the next day and, and Dragon was, fell over on the ground, fell over on his face. Oh, well, let's fix that. They picked the idol. They picked Dragon up and put it back on the same plane as the ark. And they left. And when they came back in there, not only was the statue fell over, but the head and the hands were cut off. God is saying, don't put me on the same level as those false gods. Let me tell you something. The worship of Dragon it went down. The Bible says, did nobody go in that shrine anymore? Did nobody pray to that false God anymore? Our God is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. Today, we have people claiming that they are worshiping God. They say they are worshiping the God of Israel as a path to heaven. 
But they also say our way isn't the only way. They say Jesus isn't the only way. Oh, you can get to God through Allah. You can get to God through Buddha. You can get to God through all these other ways. It all leads to the same God. And it doesn't. They're not worshiping God exclusively. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So they were ignorant they were uninformed, and it affected their worship. Because let me give you a, a truth right now. The more informed your worship is, the greater your worship will be. See, that's why it's so important to learn about the things of God, to learn the truths of God, to hear the Word of God, to read the Word of God, to study the Word of God. Because the more informed your worship is, the more acceptable it will be. The more, the, if you have a limited understanding of God, you have a limited worship of God. Does anybody remember those commercials? I don't even know if they still play anymore because I don't watch them anymore. The, the more you know commercials on NBC, do, 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 the more you know. The more you know about God, the greater your worship will be. So the Samaritans had an uninformed worship and their worship suffered because of it. Here's what they were doing. In essence, they were worshiping the true God in a false way. Do you see that? They're worshiping the true God in a false way. Let me give you an example of that. I'll give you an example of that, of worshiping the true God in a false way. Everybody knows that when Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, Aaron was down there. Now, it, all, it's, it may seem perplexing to some people if they were up there waiting on this God. They had just seen the Red Sea parted. They know they saw the power of God. They walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. But now, as soon as Moses gets out of sight, they're going to make a golden calf and start worshiping a false God. They weren't worshiping a false God through that calf. They were worshiping the God of Israel through that calf. They weren't trying to worship a false god. They were trying to worship the God of Israel through that calf. Let me read it for you. Uh, Exodus 32, 4. Then he took the gold from their hands and fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into a cast metal calf. And they said, this is your God, Israel, who brought you from the land of Egypt. They were trying to worship Jehovah God through that calf. They were trying to worship the true God in a false way because they were uninformed and they were impatient and they hadn't received the law yet. And so they barreled on ahead and did it how they felt right. This is what we know. This is what we're going to do. And they barreled ahead in their own way. And there were consequences for that. They were worshiping the true God in a false way. Verse 23 in, uh, in our original text. But a time is coming and even now has arrived when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So here Jesus is giving us uh, uh, some glimpses of true worship. How will true worshipers worship? Number one, they worship through the Father. They worship the Father. 
Know who you are worshiping. God is the object of worship. You worship Him. You honor Him. You glorify Him. You praise Him. That is who we are worshiping. We are worshiping God. And that goes back to us being, to Him being a jealous God. Let me read for you Exodus chapter 30, verse 34. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take for yourself spices, stactate, anchia, and galbanum, spices and pure frankincense, and there shall be an equal part of each. Ye shall make incense from it, it all skillful mixture, a work of a perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. This is a recipe. This is a recipe for an incense for a perfume to God. And ye shall crush some of it very fine and put part of it in front of the testimony in the tent of the meeting of where I will meet with you. And it shall be most holy. He's saying, this is how I want you to worship me. And the incense which ye shall make, ye shall not make in the same proportions for yourselves. For it is holy to, to you for the Lord. Wherefore, Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from the people. God is saying, this worship is for me, it is for me only, and if you use it for yourself, you will be cut off from the people. You know what that word cut off from the people was? That is a term for execution. You will be killed if you use any of this uh, Dracar Noir on yourself. It's just for God, okay? This perfume is just for God. You can't use it for yourself because the worship isn't for you. The worship isn't about you. It is about God. It is not about me and you. It's not. Somebody asks you, did you go to church today? Yeah, but I didn't get anything out of it. Well, you went to church for the wrong reason. You went to church for the wrong reason. Too many people go to church to get instead of to give. They come to get instead of to give. People drop out of church for the same reason. Oh, the preacher didn't give me good advice or gave me advice I didn't like. The preacher never visited me. No one ever come up to me and talked to me. Nobody ever came and shook my hand up at that church. Are we here to worship you or worship God? Amen. Who are we here to worship? God is the object of worship, not you and not me. Too many times we try to make church about us. And if we don't get what we need, we'll go down the road to a different church that will give us what we need. But church isn't about us. It's not about getting, it's about giving. We worship the Father, not ourselves. Number, the next thing he says is you worship in spirit. So first we worship the Father, next we worship in spirit. Now a couple of different things can be said about in spirit. I'll talk about one now and one later. But true worshipers worship God in the spirit. What's opposite of the spirit? The flesh. Okay, you worship God in spirit, not in the flesh. Okay, you cannot worship God in the flesh. Philippians 3 3. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and take pride in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
True worship has nothing to do with the flesh. In fact, Romans 8, 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God. You can't do anything acceptable to God if you're, if you're doing it in the flesh. If there's a fleshly reason, if there's a fleshly motive behind it, it's not true worship. And that's what most modern worship is. Most modern worship is about what feels good. It's about the flesh. Oh, you know, that, that, that song service, that music service really didn't do anything for me. Really didn't move me. Okay, what about the truth that was in the song? What about the, 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 the it's not the song that's supposed to move you. It's the truth that's in the song that's supposed to move you. It's about the truth that it speaks of. It's not about the music. It's not about the singer. It's about the truth in it. It's about the truth in that song. The truth should move you. Don't be in the flesh. People pick their church based on just whether how it makes them feel. Well, that church didn't make me feel good. So that must be wrong. So I'm going to go on down the road. It's probably conviction. Okay, conviction doesn't feel good. It surely does not. Next you worship in truth. Now, there's a couple of ways we could do this too, but I'll talk about one now and one later. When it says in truth, what, uh, kind of what it means is a true heart. No hypocrisy. There's no room for hypocrisy in worship. Hey, God does not want your fake worship. God does not want your fake worship. He doesn't want it if you're putting on a show. If you're putting on a facade, if it's not the real you, God does not want fake worship. Jesus preached against the Pharisees more than any other group of people because they were fakes. They were phonies. Okay, their worship wasn't real. It was fake. They would give just to be seen. They would pray aloud so everyone could hear. They would wear long flowing robes so everybody would see. And Jesus said of them, you are whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. Don't be fake in your worship. Don't be phony. Don't put on a show. Worship the Father. Worship him in spirit and worship him in truth. And then he gives two reasons for this. Two reasons why you should worship the Father, worship him in spirit, worship him in truth. Now I'm going to give you two reasons why you should do that. It says, for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Number Reason number one why you worship God this way is because God sought it. God sought it. Did you know you were called to be a worshiper? You are called to be a worshiper. The redemptive plan is so we could be worshipers. That's why we were saved. We were saved so we could be worshipers of God. Worship God on earth. Worship God for eternity in heaven. And he called you to it. Did you know no one is saved unless the Father calls you to it? Did you know that you are elect? You are predestined. He picked you out. He said, I want so-and-so to be a worshiper for me. That is our purpose is to be a worshiper. 
He elected us. He chose us. He decided it. He dedicated it before the foundation of the world that we were to be worshipers. He's prepared you to be a worshiper. Verse 24 is reason two. God is spirit. Do you know why we worship in spirit? We worship in spirit because God is a spirit. God is a spirit. God is not regulated to a temple anymore like he was in the Old Testament. Acts 7.48 However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. God, God, God doesn't have a physical body. He's everywhere. He's inside you. He's all around you. He is a spirit. So that's why he got mad at the children of Israel for bowing down to the golden calf because he said, that's not how I want you to worship. That's not right. I don't want you looking at an object to worship me. That's, that's not true worship. Look, this church is a reminder. It's a symbol. That cross is a reminder. It's a symbol. But we don't come down here every Sunday and bow down to that cross. We don't come up every Sunday and bow down to a statue of Jesus. We don't. We worship God in spirit. Because God is a spirit. I don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem anymore to worship him. I don't have to do that. Because I worship him in spirit. I don't have to, I don't have to burn incense at an altar anymore. Because I worship him in spirit. Hebrews 9.1, now even the first covenant had regulations for divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. Hebrews saying that was the first covenant. That's not us anymore. That's not us anymore. We worship God in spirit. God is immaterial. God is invisible. God is incorruptible. He is a spirit. He is everywhere. And it is easier to say what God is not than to say what God is. God has not flesh and bones. Verse 24, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's hit on this truth thing one more time. Truth is the word of God. The word of God is absolute truth. So your worship has to line up with this Bible. If anything you do in worship is against this book and is a sin, that is false worship. That it is false worship. If the Bible commands against it, don't do it. It's false worship. But there's another danger here. There's another danger in worship. You remember when I told you that worship is more than just praise? Worship is anything you do righteously in your life. There are pastors and churches out there that will try to sell you on the idea that we really know how to worship God because we have all these extra rules to follow and we have all these extra steps and we have all these extra add-on rules that then and only if you follow these rules can you be close to God. Rules that aren't found in the Bible 
They're extra add-on rules. And man, if you do these, if you adhere to these extra rules, man, you'll really, really be close to God. You'll really worship God. You'll really be holy. Matthew 15, 9. And in vain do they worship me. So we're worshiping in vain. What's vain about it? Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's vain worship. When you teach the doctrines of men that's not in this book, that is vain worship. People try to pass off legalism as true worship. I try to pass it off. All this extra stuff we add on to the Bible, man, that, that'll make you closer to God, but it won't. In fact, it's very displeasing to God. And the Apostles' Day, it was a callback to Judaism. We see it today. It comes in the, the form of callback to Jewish laws like adhering to the Sabbath like the Seventh-day Adventists, just extra stuff and just stuff that we don't have to do anymore. It's rituals, and you have to go through all these rituals, and you have to go through all these sacraments. Hey, let me tell you something. We were given two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's it. Everything else is extra, okay? Then we have the extra dress standards. Now, look, don't get me wrong. I'm all for modesty. I'm all for modesty, but I have to be so modest that I have to wear long sleeve shirts and my skirt has to drag the floor. Women's hair have to touch the soldier's shoulder and men can't have beards. You have to wear this certain thing. You, you can't come to church. All this extra add on stuff. You, you see people like that out there. They put on all the, do this, all this extra stuff, okay? All this extra stuff, all this extra add-on stuff. And Jesus said it's vain. Doesn't work. In fact, Paul gives us a little secret about it. Turn to Colossians 2. It's the last scripture you'll, we'll, we'll talk about this morning. I'm almost done. Colossians chapter 2. I want you to see this in Colossians chapter 2. Because Paul has something to say about all this. That, um, we're talking about worship today. And it's vain worship to teach the doctrines of man as the word of God. And so that's why we're talking about this. So we're talking about this legalism, this extra add-on rules that you have to follow all these rules, and it's add-on legalism, legalistic worship, and Paul has some things to say about it. Paul is going to tell us a little secret about all these extra add-on rules. Colossians 22, uh, chapter 2, verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, extra, extra rules. Extra add-on rules is what he's talking about. Verse 22, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of man. These are matters which do have, listen to this, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and humility and severe treatment of the body. But, but here's the kicker. But are of no value against fleshly indulgence. 
These things may seem more religious. They may make you feel more religious. They may make you feel closer to God. But these extra rules do nothing to help you, to help keep you from sin than if you didn't obey them. In fact, they actually do more harm than good. Let me tell you something. Y'all, I've told y'all that I was raised hard-nosed, strict Baptist, independent fundamental Baptist, King James only, hellfire, brimstone, you know, you know, that's where I'm from. Hard-nosed, strict, strict, okay? That, that's where, that's where, I, I, where I come from. And let me tell you something. The worst kids, the most rebellious people in that movement, you know who they are? They're the PKs, the preacher kids. That's what we called them. We called them PKs. The PKs were so, they were the worst ones. Why? Because they were under such a tight thumb. And they were so strict that as soon as they got a little bit of freedom, man, they went hog wild. They, that's why these extra rules can't have a TV in your house. All that can't go to the movie theater. And it's not just IFB, it's other churches out here too that have all these extra, you got to cover everything up, down to the wrists, down to the, down to the ankles, can't wear makeup, all this other stuff that's not in the Bible. It's not in there. They do more harm than good. God knows what he's doing. He knows we're human. He knows we're not perfect. He doesn't condone sin, but he knows who we are. He knows we're humans. God knows what he's doing. You don't have to add on extra rules to try to worship God. God says that's vain. It doesn't help you stay away from sin. and It does more harm than good. So we're talking about worship today. We're talking about worshiper. God desires a true worshiper today. So when you worship, worship the Father and not yourself. It's not about me and you. Don't come to church thinking that I'm here to get. Come to church thinking I'm here to give. Give to others and give to God. Worship in the Spirit. That means not in the flesh. Just because it feels good doesn't mean it's always right. Okay? Don't go to church just to feel good. Okay? I want you to know that your worship is no more acceptable in this church than it is out there. So don't think in church is the only place you can worship. You worship God anywhere and everywhere you go. And you worship Him in truth. That means don't be fake in your worship. Be sincere. Be real. Don't put on a show. God does not want our fake worship. Don't go through the motions. Be sincere about it. And then make sure your worship lines up with the Bible. It lines up with this book. Whether the book says it or whether, whether it doesn't, make sure it, it's in here. Make sure it's not sin. Make sure it's not extra add-on stuff. And that is true worship.